Sonia Thompson. Our reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, why have you, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Well, as you heard, the, um, the crockers pop up from time to time, and uh, I'm normally uh, working at Trinity Christian School teaching the kids there, and so I get invited. It's a great privilege to. Uh, share at the Lord's table with you, but today I have the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you through this uh, sermon series in Genesis. I'm very grateful for, uh, to Johnny for trusting me in this way. Uh, I hope I won't do too much damage as we uh, proceed with this. And uh, the only thing that I want you to be aware of is that because of the short notice of this, we're going to have a struggle with slides. If there are any, it will be because of the skill of the slide guy, and, uh, well, we'll see. All right. Well, we've been learning a lot about covenant. Covenant 
is a central theme in biblical theology. Adam was given a covenant, the covenant of creation. Noah was given a covenant and a covenant sign in the flood and the rainbow that uh, described the end of God's catastrophic judgment on human sin in that way. Abraham, we're in the middle of learning about how Abraham received a number of covenant signs and aspects of covenant. As we read on in Scripture, we'll find that Moses was given a covenant through the law. And David was given a covenant as king. And all of these covenants had one central theme. God said, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Now, after Genesis 15 comes Genesis 16. Last week we heard, there you go, there's one. Uh, Last week, we heard that after Abraham's worry about his heir, who would succeed him, God renewed and intensified the promise, the covenant that he'd made to him. He said, you will have an heir, it will be your own son. Abraham's trust in God at that moment, we read in Genesis 15, verse 6, was counted as righteousness. And that verse became a key verse in explaining the gospel in Romans and Galatians later on in the New Testament. To cap it all, we had that covenant ceremony to confirm everything. And after Genesis 15 comes Genesis 16, a very human story. Abram and Sarah are getting older. They have been in the promised land 10 years. Sarah has no child. Now we have records from the civilizations of the ancient Near East about a cultural practice to establish an heir where there was no heir. There could, if there was not going to be an heir of the marriage, there could be an heir of the household. In such a situation, a child of the household would be the heir. A cultural practice common across the ancient Near East. And it looks like Sarai has been looking around and figuring out what can happen. She's aware she's getting old, and she has a plan. She goes to Abram. She says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. My servant Hagar could help. She could have our child. There it is. I guess the message here is beware what the culture around you is doing. And it says, Abram listened to his wife. Now, normally, 
I would encourage husbands to listen to their wives. And Sarai's plan is just close enough to the covenant, to the promise, to be considered. Maybe the Lord had closed Sarai's womb. We remember that the promise was for him to have a son. No mention of Sarai in Genesis 15. Though, of course, that was expected and that was understood, that would be normal. But in fact, that promise to Sarai comes next week, chapter 17. Maybe Abraham thought about how God had been giving direction. Maybe he forgot about the fact that as God gave direction and he obeyed, he rewarded trust. Maybe Abraham forgot about how well things had gone when he tried to, he tried his own ideas. Like when he tried to tell the king of Egypt that Sarai was his sister. That didn't work so well. At any rate, the Hagar plan was agreed. She became pregnant, and immediately problems start. Now, there's an old adage about two women in a kitchen. Not recommended, right? I guess you could say there's a similar adage about two men and a toolbox. Not recommended, right? Well, they took it a bit further. Hagar and Sarai fight. Hagar has contempt for her mistress. See, I am pregnant. You are not. And so Sarai goes back to Abraham. May the wrong done to me be on you. Translation, this is all your fault. She's lording it over me. What do you think God thinks about you now? And Abraham says, well, she's your servant. You deal with her. And she does, harshly. So Hagar flees. Now, here's a pause for comment. This is the faithful family God has chosen to bear his truth and character to a lost world. Think about that for a moment. One of the reasons I love and adhere to the Scriptures is God's Word as truth. God's Word is that humanity is described with such truthful insight, especially as we seek to understand the ways of God and get it wrong so often, God's Word nails us, that we mess up so often. We go down our own paths, we respond to our own uh, failures, our own desires, our own ideas too much. We try to give God's plan a little helping hand and end up with problems. Men shirk their responsibilities. Women deal with others harshly. And we run away. 
And all because we find waiting so hard. There are no stained glass saints in the book of Genesis. I love the story about the tapestry maker who was forever working on the tapestry. And her child comes along and says, what are you doing? She says, I'm making this tapestry. But she said, all I can see is a mess. And she says, let's turn it over and look at the other side. When you look with a different perspective, you see a perfect picture. But the underneath is a mess. I love the story that Nicky Gumbel tells in the Alpha course about um, the uh, Alexander Borodin, the uh, famous uh, Russian composer. He had a daughter, an adopted daughter, who was, shall we say, not as good as he was on the piano. And uh, there's a story of a traveler staying in the hotel with them who listened to this girl just murder a piano one evening, probably like I would. And along comes her father, and as she plays this horrible discordant racket, he adds to it the frills and the arpeggios and the scales that transformed it into a work of beauty. And that's what we're going to see going on here that man's waywardness, man's clumsiness, man's disobedience and ineptness is going to be transformed by the work of God. Because here, as we read about Hagar fleeing, here is where grace enters this story. This is also why I love Scripture. Because our God is not about performance, achievement, perfection. But he's about love. And he's about trust. You see, the angel of the Lord finds Hagar. He comes with a message of hope, though he does not let her off the hook. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? In one succinct sentence, Hagar is summed up. A name and place in life? Hagar, servant of Sarai. It's an honorable situation. Where have you come from? Well, I've come from the household of Sarai, I guess is the answer. Why are you fleeing? My mistress was very harsh with me. Oh, uh, why was that? Um, I was very mean to her. Where are you going? No answer to that one. Isn't it a common... Isn't it a common experience that people run away 
but don't know where they need to run to. We may run from a bad circumstance, but often people are essentially running away from God. Hagar is told, return to your mistress and submit. Go home. Serve. And to that gracious but challenging instruction, a blessing and a promise is added. Your child will be a son. Call him Ishmael. That means God hears. And you will have many children, a great family, maybe even a great nation. And Hagar responds in, again, a word, a sentence that's filled with grace. The various translations struggle with the Hebrew, but essentially it means you are the God who lives, you are the God who sees. You are the God of seeing, it says. And we acknowledge, she acknowledges, God is looking after her. Now remember, Hagar is Egyptian. She grew up with the background of all the Egyptian gods that there are. She's brought low, and she is learning about the God she's heard about in the household of Abraham and Sarai. She's learning about, but not only learning about, now meeting the God who lives sees, hears, and we could add, forgives, restores, blesses. I have a question for each one here. When did God become more than a word for you? When did God stop being something you'd heard about, someone you'd read about, maybe even someone you agreed with, and became someone you met, someone you knew? That's what's happening to Hagar. And we read, Hagar bore Abram a son, and he was named Ishmael. That's not the end of the story. For Abraham, Sarai, Hagar, and Ishmael uh, lived together for a while. Not the most comfortable uh, arrangement. Uh, there did come a time when there was a parting of the ways. But with that parting of the ways, the confirmation that God will care for each one. Here's a postscript from the gospel. Paul writes in Galatians 4 about Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac, who is the one who will come. Though it will take another 14 years of waiting 
That passage tells us that Abraham is 86 at this moment, and it will be when he's 100 that Isaac comes along. Paul calls Isaac the child of promise, the one God intended to develop his covenant family. He calls Ishmael the child of flesh because people thought they could accomplish God's plan without him and his direction. Paul says this is an allegory for our situation, that the Jewish law, though given by God, has become for many a task to be achieved. We focus on the law rather than the lawgiver, and so it becomes a work of flesh. Then there is the child of promise. Isaac, who points us to Jesus, to whom Abraham is for whom Abraham's covenant is fulfilled in him. Abraham's covenant is compared in this application of the promise. You see, we can't work enough to please God, though many Christians and others try. In Jesus, our life is a life of promise, as my former rector called it, a life of of grace and gratitude. You see, the truth about covenant is that the covenants don't work. God tried and tried and tried again, and he kept his part of the bargain, but every covenant failed on man's part. God didn't fail, but people did, as we have seen in this story of Sarai and Hagar. But the covenants do point to the ultimate covenant, where God sent his son as a man to keep both sides of the covenant, to keep both sides of the agreement. The broken body is on the cross is the sign of this covenant. And we remind ourselves of that week by week. Spot that word covenant as we gather around the Lord's table. As we share the bread and wine, we are remembering and being reminded of the good news that Jesus died for our sins. He rose to proclaim his victory over sin and Satan. And he lives today. And as Hagar would remind us, he hears us, he sees us, he forgives us, he blesses us, he loves and calls us to that repentant disciples' life of love for God in Jesus. I want to finish with a prayer. It's called the Prayer of St. Richard. Not this St. Richard, 
who is far from a saint, but Saint Richard of Chichester, pray with me. Thanks be to thee, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the pains and insults thou hast borne for me, and all the benefits thou hast given me, O merciful Redeemer, friend, and brother. Grant that I may see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly, day by day. Amen. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with the sin.